It's uh, great being here with you. My name is Bob Kedlisic. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater Church in Montrose. And uh, a week ago, Thursday, August 12th, about 11 o'clock at night, lightning struck the South Montrose Community Church and the, the entire building, total loss, completely burned uh, from that fire. So on Friday, a week ago Friday, I contacted the pastor and said, what can we do to help? Well, you can use our office building in town, our sanctuary there on Sunday morning. If you want to use that to meet, you could meet here Sunday afternoon. Um, and they actually were planning on a picnic that Sunday, so they went ahead with that. And I've, I've just reached out and said, anything we can do, let us know. Um, up to this point, there really hasn't been anything that I'm aware of that we could do. I know many of you have asked about that. But there's a lot of people here with friends at that church. So if you hear something, um, a workday, something um, that they're going to do, let, let me know so I can let everyone know because we would love to, to come alongside of the members of that church and really encourage them and help them. And that, that comes uh, kind of goes in tandem to what we want to talk about. This is an open house. We've started this new series to talk about this church and why we do what we do and what Jesus wants us to do. And today we're going to talk about the front porch. And really, there's two kinds of churches. There's front porch churches, and then there's treehouse churches. Okay, I don't know if you had a treehouse when you were a kid, but treehouses are meant to keep people out. Right, And they're exclusive. Maybe this is a no boys allowed treehouse. Or maybe it's a no girls allowed treehouse. I don't know. But you have that rope ladder that you can pull up. And you got to know the secret password and maybe the secret handshake to get in. And unfortunately, there are a lot of churches that way as well. And you have to behave a certain way. You have to maybe be related to someone already in the church. And you have to know the secret handshake and have the right belief system. And, and when you get all the ducks in a row, then they'll lower the ladder to you and you can come in. And not literally. Obviously, there's no moat around any churches that I know of or castle walls. But, and, and here's the thing. Every church thinks they're welcoming because every church is welcoming to the people that are already in it. <laughs> but, but we need to be a church that's welcoming to the people that aren't in it or that are there for the first time. And so, so this is all because, so we, we don't want to be a treehouse church. We want to be a porch church, a church with a porch that's welcoming and inviting to people. And the reason we want to do that and the reason this service, because um, for most people, the porch is the first place they enter when they're coming over to your house. Now, some people do sneak in the back door into the kitchen first, but, and, and in our church, the kitchen is, is serving, and sometimes the first interaction people have with our church is serving with us, uh, you know, scooping ice cream at the Blueberry Festival or doing something like that. Others sneak in through a window into someone's living room, like, and that's their first contact with the church through small groups, and that's awesome. You know, we encourage that, not literally through their window, but... <laughs> But, but being involved in a small group, maybe before you ever came on a Sunday morning, but for most people, Sunday morning, this service is their first contact. It's the porch, and it's the first place that they have contact with our church. And so um, we want it to be a welcoming place, and the reason that is, it goes back to a conversation and a big decision that was made almost 2,000 years ago 
And we read about it in the book of Acts. Acts 15.1 says this. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Antioch is in Syria. So this, they went from Israel to Syria. And they were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you can't be saved. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask your parents when you get home because I don't want to explain it to you. All that to say, it's major surgery, okay? And so they're saying, if you don't have surgery, you can't be a Christian. And so this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them, even though they were both circumcised. Why were they debating this? They weren't debating this for their own benefit because they were already in the club, right? They were already part of the insiders, but they were saying that what they said, no, this isn't good for us. Outsiders. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers, probably people on the other side of the debate, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. And so the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told about how this is a Lebanon, modern Lebanon. You know, a lot of Muslim countries today, before Islam was invented, for hundreds of years, these countries were predominantly Christian. And um, at this point, that wasn't the case yet because Christianity was new, so most of these people worshipped pagan idols. But they traveled through these countries, Samaria, and they told how the Gentiles had been converted. Gentiles are non-Jews, so I'm a Gentile. Almost all of us here are Gentiles. I'm so glad that some Jewish people went to Gentiles years ago and told them about Jesus, aren't you? Amen, yeah, how, how the Gentiles had been converted, and this news made all the believers very glad, and when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them, and then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must have surgery, they have to be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses, don't eat pork, don't wear clothing that's both wool and cotton. Cut your hair certain ways. Do ceremonial watch, washing. All of these laws. And the apostles and elders met to consider this question. You might even be wondering, what are the Pharisees doing in the church? Weren't they some of the biggest enemies of Jesus? And you would be absolutely right. But Jesus said, love your enemies. And so many Pharisees, even during Jesus' teaching ministry, Nicodemus, the individual who Jesus said, you must be born again, and Nicodemus was like, what? My mother? Me? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And, and in that conversation, we have John 3.16, and for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's right in the middle of this conversation, John records uh, that Jesus is having with a Pharisee. And Joseph of Arimathea, almost undoubtedly a, a Pharisee, and he was the one who gave his brand new tomb. He was a rich man and said, Jesus can be buried in my tomb. And that fulfilled prophecy. And so before Jesus, and then after Jesus was resurrected, it, the Bible says in Acts that many, probably hundreds of Pharisees, realized that Jesus was the Lord and their Savior, and they surrendered and gave their life to Him. But you know, when we come to Jesus, we come to Him many times with the baggage of our past. And for some here, that was addiction. For some, it's unforgiveness. And, and to come to Jesus, you have to, you have to forgive, and, but you have this bitterness and you have to keep forgiving. And for the Pharisees, when they came to Jesus, their baggage was a lot of uh, religious traditions and legalism. 
And so they came to the church with that, and they're wrestling with that even after they've accepted Jesus. And so they have this big powwow, all these elders, probably hundreds of pastors and elders, and, and, and of course the apostles as well, from all over the Roman world at that time. They met for days, maybe even weeks, and then this is the, we won't go through the summary of that, we're skipping right to the end. This is the final decision. And uh, they all kind of decided this together, and James stands up and summarizes. He says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So now this, this debate has been settled. So at that time, 20 years, this is taking place about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and almost all or the vast majority of believers were Jews, and so the debate is, can you become a Christian without becoming a Jew? And that sounds kind of weird to us because it was settled. And they said, no, you don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to be circumcised and keep all these laws and ritual things. You don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. And so what does this have to do with being a welcoming church and a church with, with a porch instead of a drawbridge or, or a, a treehouse? Well, here's, here's the bottom line. It's, it's what they said in the verse before. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles or the people turning to God. And, and that's why this service is designed the way it is. And we may have missed the mark here or there, but this is our, our desires. We don't want to make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And so that, that informs the kind of music we play. All right, And I, I want to say this because I mentioned it last week. Why are the drums in a cage? Well, Ethan in there who is playing, he is in 10th grade and he is on probation and we have to lock him. No, we don't have to lock him up. All right. His, his parents usually sit over there. Um, but no, that's not why. It's actually to control the sound. So it makes the drums quieter believe it or not. And so that can be controlled in the back. And if you got a drummer who's really like excited, you know, it, it helps dampen the sound, I believe. Am I right? I should have checked. All right, that is the reason. Okay, so everything we do actually does have a purpose. It's not just, oh, you know, putting the drummer in a cage. That looks cool. Okay, that's not why we do anything. So, um, but music, why do we choose the music that we choose? Well, well, here's, here's why, to help the greatest number of people praise God, learn about Him, and love Him more. Okay, so if the greatest number of people in Montrose, where this is the community this, this congregation is in, or, or over in Halstead or wherever, if the greatest number of people learn to love God more and praise Him through polka, <laughs> we're going to polka till we drop. <laughs> Brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, I don't even know. How did they do those polka dances? I, I'm not a good dancer. But, you know, and, and, if, and if, it's through, if it's through, you know, opera like right? If that's the way, then that's what we're going to do. This is not about what I like. This is, we want to throw, cast the widest net. How many radio stations do you know play organ and choral music? Yeah, even not even one, because most of the time they have preaching and they have other music that's on. And, and so actually, I know uh, 94.3 plays polka on Sunday, <laughs> only on Sunday, I think it is from certain hours. It's not at late at night. And so polka's just not that popular, right? Does that make it, you know, it ungodly? No. Does it make it godly? No. And the same with organ. And here's something that 
A pastor out in California said, and I think it's really true, we invite the unchurched to come and sit on 17th century chairs, which we call pews, sing 18th century songs, which we call hymns, and listen to 19th century instrument called a pipe organ, and we wonder why they think we're out of touch. <laughs> and it's funny, but it's sad. Because we're creating barriers. We want music to be a bridge, not a barrier. And it, it, it might be a music that you grew up with and loved, but you need to understand that what you love might create a barrier for someone else. And they think, I have to listen to 20 minutes of annoying music on Sunday morning in order to hear God's good news about Jesus? It, it, so so we, we want to be a welcoming church without barriers. With, 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 and this is... Um, uh, Will, William Booth, who's the founder of the Salvation Army over 150 years ago, he said this about music. I don't care much whether you call it secular or sacred. I rather enjoy robbing the devil of his choicest tunes. It's like taking the enemy's guns and turning them against him. Some people have summarized his philosophy. Why does the devil have all the good music, right? He says that's, and, and I understand some of this is subjective. If we were an urban church, if we were in downtown Philly, we might rap on Sunday morning, and I can't do that. But if we were in downtown Philly, we would have people who could, you know? And, and so, and, and if, you're, if we're in Kentucky, in fact, I, I, think, I think Susquehanna County needs a bluegrass church. I do. I think that would go here. All right. We would lose a few members, but that's all right, you know? Um, but here's the thing about porches. It is subjective, um, this porch, the Halloween porch, is inviting to certain people. They're like, oh, man, that is my scene. I love that. There's other people here, they're like, yeah, I'm not going up to that house, right? And, and then other people, this would be your porch, man, a, a deer skull on the door. There we go. That's what I want. Now, there may be others of you that are vegetarian, and you watch Bambi every year, and you cry every time Bambi's mother is shot. And that is not your porch. That does not scream welcoming to you. For some people, you'd say, man, that is a porch I'd love to be on. Others of you are like, man, that's too nice for me. I'd want to take my shoes off. What kind of a... That's not... You'd say, man, this is my porch. <laughs> and I could even tell you what kind of car that seat came out of because it's in my backyard. <laughs> you know? And that screams welcome to you, right? So, so different porches different places, right? And so as a church, a lot of this is subjective, but we've said in, in our community, we want to cast the widest net, and we think this music is, connects with the most amount of people. Um, and, and it does turn some off. That might turn some off right there. But um, so we, we don't want to make it difficult for people turning to God. That's why the service is designed the way it is musically and also with clothing. This is a uniform, okay? I I am not allowed, and I kind of make the rules, but um, I guess so, so I guess it, but I, I'm not going to wear cut-off sweatpants, all right, on a Sunday morning, nor am I going to wear a suit coat and tie. Why? Because we, we want to make the largest amount of people comfortable. This is intriguing to me. This is fans at a soccer match in England. What, what do you notice about their clothing? I don't know if you can see it well. All the men are in suits, and they're wearing hats. Here's a baseball fans, 1940s. In fact, I noticed this at the Hartford Fair. If I went into the historical building, whatever that it's called. What is that called? The Founders Museum. The Founders Museum. There we go. And they had a picture in the 1920s, Hartford Fair. You know what the men are wearing? Suits to the Hartford Fair in the mud. 
You know, why? Because people wore suits everywhere. They wore it going out to dinner. They wore it to the Hartford Fair. They wore it to sports games. They wore them to church. You know, and women in these pictures, they all got these long gowns on and these hats. And some of them got the little umbrella thingies, you know. Um, and, and here's, I don't want to be offensive, but some churches should just call themselves a museum and charge admission so people can see how church was done in the 1950s. We, we think that, no, that's godly. No, that was the 1920s and 30s and 40s. And somehow the church got caught in a time warp. And said, this is what, and there are multiple people who come here who have told me, I used to go to church, not a lot, but a few. I used to go to church, but I didn't have a suit. And someone came up to me and told me, you know, you need to wear a suit. My mother got that about us when I was in grade school. Someone came up to my mom and said, well, you've been going here long enough. You better put your boys in a suit if you, if you, if you want to keep coming here because that's what they should be wearing. And somehow she didn't stop going to that church and kept going and put us in suits. But we, we don't want people to feel like they don't belong. And I'm so glad we got a man with a tie on this morning. Because if you come with a tie, go sit next to him and you'll feel comfortable. Right? And, and you got others with shorts on. Sit, you know, and we just, we just don't want to make it difficult. We don't want to say, hey, you want to you wanna learn about Jesus? You want to turn to Jesus? You want to follow him? You need a new wardrobe. Do you know, in 2014, I couldn't find a more recent statistic, but in 2014, 6% of Americans wore a tie to work. The, the statistic back in the 40s was way, way higher, and that was 2014. I think it's lower today. I guarantee you it's lower in Susquehanna County. <laughs> you wear a tie in Susquehanna County if you're a banker, a lawyer, or you're standing trial, Okay. <laughs> That's about the only people, right? And so, you know, we, we don't want you to feel like you're standing trial here. Or you're in the VFW, you know, and your name is John. All right. Um, don't make it difficult. Clothing, kids ministry. I remember having small children. We have four kids. And I remember when Karis and Amber were both like under three or between two and four years of age, I remember going out to eat. It was either Red Lobster or Olive Garden. And I remember thinking, and I think I said it to Becky, I never want to go out to eat for the next several years. <laughs> because Karis is trying to eat the food off the floor and we're trying to stop her. And Amber's just crying. And the people around us are looking at us. And this, how is this a treat? If this is a treat, I don't want a treat like this forever again. You know, we'll just order takeout, you know, and just, just because it's just kids are, and I remember church with kids. Now, most of the time I'm preaching, but sometimes I would be sitting in the pew, and we had children's program for a long time, but when they were real little, maybe on a Sunday night or we're on vacation and in church, and you start off with a quiet toy, right, to keep your little one occupied. And then when that doesn't work, you pull out the Cheerios. And then you go for the big guns, M&M's. <laughs> and if you run out of M&M's and it's 15 minutes into the service, you're in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, and so the parents are, you know, they're taking them out into the lobby and they're thinking, why did I even come to church? I haven't heard a word of anything. And I, I, I'm so distracted by, by everything that, but my child, that, well, what's the point? Children are a barrier, and they can make it hard for people who are turning to God. And so that's why we have a nursery. 
And we have, we have pros in our nursery. No offense to some of you moms, but the head of our nurseries had nine children. <laughs> she knows what she's doing. You can trust her with your baby. And I know some of you moms are like, no, not my baby. But it's, and and so, so that you can, you can pay attention. And then the older kids as well. And we have noticed this about, about our community, about America in general. This is not a good thing, but this is true. Many parents follow their children and they let their children lead the home. It's not a good thing, but it's true. And because that's true, we want to make our children's ministry so irresistible that the children bring the parents. And by and large, we have found that's true. If you are a first-time guest here in our church and you're an adult, or you're a first-time guest and you're a child, guess which is more likely to come back? Children are almost twice as likely to come back with their parents than adults are. And, and so we've, I, I've heard many parents saying this, man, my kid nags me all the time to come back to church, right? And the kids are bringing, if the kid says, I don't want to go to church, well, the parents don't go to church. And if the kid says, mom, we got to go to church. I've had people tell me this. They drive by with a small toddler and toddlers don't know what day it is. And they see the driveway and then they don't stop and they just start screaming. You know, because we got to stop. And you're trying to explain. My mom's trying to explain. No, it's not Sunday, dear. Honey, we, we can't stop. No, it's not. You know, and just, and that just does my heart good. I, I know it's more tears, but, and, and why? Because kids ministry, we don't want to make it hard. We want to make it easy for people who are turning to God as much as we can. And this is true of Bible translations as well. Um, I need my glasses for this one. I, I, I love some of these. Now, I grew up with the King James, and I have a master's degree, okay? And, and, but I want to I ask you if you know these vocabulary words, because I didn't. Isaiah 3.22, wimples. Do you know what the wimples are in Isaiah 3.22? That's King James, language for a cloak. Jeremiah 2.36, why gaddest thou about so much? Do you know what a gad to gad is? Gadding, it's a verb. To run quickly, right? Um, this one is an easy one and, you know, used multiple places. Romans 7, 8, Colossians 3, 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, 5. Um, concupiscence. Do you know what concupiscence is? It is, it is uh, immoral sexual desire. The lust of concupiscence, right? So here's the thing. And some churches use the King James, and that's fine for them. I think if you want to reach people who love Old English and Shakespeare, the King James is your version. In fact, here, here is a, a page from the 1611 King James. I'll read it to you. By lot, Iona is calfed into the fee. Iona fent to Ninua, fleeth to Tarfith, and he berayed by a tempest. It throw in... Into the fan, fee, and thrown into the fee, and swallowed by a fifth. Now, why does it look like that? Because actually, the letter S, unless it's at the end of a word, it looks like the letter F back in, 16, in the 1600s, and actually, even into the 1800s, this is true in cursive. And so, but it's a different letters, different vocabulary, different, different English. Why would we make it harder for people? To have to translate, it adds 15 minutes to every sermon when you can't speak in the King James because you got to translate it first. You know, and 
And, and again, some, some churches make this choice, but the reason we use even the translation we use out of the Bible isn't because we want to be cool. It's because we want the Bible to be clear. And we don't want to make it hard for people who are turning to God. So the porch is where we welcome guests. And our Sunday morning services are not an end in themselves. So, so if our goal is not to get a lot of people in a room on Sunday morning. That is not our goal. Our goal is to make more and better disciples. And you cannot be the disciple God wants you to be if the only spiritual uh, positive or spiritual activity you have in the entire week is, is 60, 65 minutes on a Sunday morning. And so the goal of our Sunday morning is really to move you to, to following Jesus and to being a better disciple and, and to do that through, through the help of small groups, through the help of, of serving. You can grow spiritually so much. I'm telling you, nobody learns as much from my sermons as me. And I, I think rarely do, do many of you apply them as much as I do because I think, well, I got to get up and say this, so I better, I better be living it. And how am I going to put this into practice? And when you get involved serving, it, it, it helps you become more like Jesus because that's what Jesus did. I did not come to be served, but to serve. And so, so we don't want you just to be here. We want you to move um, and take your next spiritual step. Our Sunday services are to make more and better disciples. That's the goal. And they're not designed for me. And by me, I mean Bob, Cadlisic me. And they may not be designed for you. Here, here's one of the principles that um, uh, imitating Jesus uh, involves, and that is the mature sacrifice for the immature, right? The strong sacrifice for the weak. I've used this illustration before, but I'll never forget Bill Brennan telling me about him and his brother Bobby having uh, dinner at home with his mom and dad. And they were strapping teenage boys at the time, and they're like, you know eating everything, and then Bill's reaching for seconds, and he notices that his mom didn't have any meat at all. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, mom. Here, here you go. You take something. And their mom said to them, oh, no, you know, I nibble on stuff when I cook, and I'm, I'm pretty full already. Why don't you boys go ahead and have it? And he said, I didn't realize it then, but I look back now, and I realize my mom was going without food so that we could have enough. Why? Because mom is mature. Mom is the strong one. And the strong sacrifice for the weak. And so some people, maybe you hear this, this whole sermon and, and, and you might say, well, this reinforces what people say about Bridgewater. They're the easy church. They're the church that, you know, maybe is compromising and they're making it easy and they're trying to be easy and I want to I do the tough stuff for God. I'm telling you, this is the tough stuff. We're, when, when, when you get here before 7 a.m. and you're here till afternoon and, and you don't get paid to be in the band, like that's sacrifice. Why would they sacrifice like that? Because the strong sacrifice for the weak Right? The, the, the matures give and sacrifice for the immature. So we're saying, yes, we want to make it easy for the immature, but that means that the mature need to step up 
And so what, what can I, here's the application. This is why the morning service is designed as it is. But what can you do to not make it difficult for people turning to God? Number one thing, don't be a hypocrite. Because if you say one thing and you live a different way, you're making it really hard. They're going to have to say, you know what? God's word is true. That guy is not. And it's a confusing message. Um, but, but here's some practical little things. Whoa. Where'd they go? Oh, well. All right. I'll list them for you here. Um, number one, uh, sit in the front. Oh, yeah. They weren't in there. I remember. Sit in the front row. Okay. So... This is unusual. Our front row is almost completely full. Man, it's awesome. Yeah, there we go. Do you know why? Do you know why most of these people sit in the front row? They don't like to sit in the front row. What's the best place to sit in in church? The back row, right? Yeah. And so I I just want to encourage you, you know, to sit in the front and let others, maybe who are new, Maybe who aren't, you know, aren't so comfortable in church. And I'm, obviously I'm talking to people who have been coming for a while, people who are following Jesus Christ. If you're not sure you're ready to follow Jesus, this is an insider conversation. You get to eavesdrop and see what it means to follow Jesus. But so, yeah, sitting, sitting in the front row, parking at the far end of the parking lot. All right. And saying, I'm going to leave those closed spaces for the guy who just had knee surgery for, for, for some folks that are over 80 and for that single mom who's coming in with 40 pounds of baby and equipment. <laughs> and that car seat and that. You see some of these ladies and they got these Susquehanna biceps, you know. <laughs> they're bigger than mine, you know, because <laughs> they're like got all these baby stuff. And, and, it's, and maybe you're going to say, you know, I'm going to park far away. There's a nice close spot. I, that's for somebody else. And um, no, other things you can do, you can serve in a ministry. Attend one and serve one. And so maybe you say, I'm coming to 9 o'clock service at 1045. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in the kids' ministry. I'm going to be out in the parking lot. Great time to be out. This is the best time to recruit for parking lot duty. January, it's really hard. <laughs> it's below zero. There are guys out there. It's below zero. The wind is blowing. It always blows this way. It blows in your face as you're coming in if you've been here for a while. Always blows that way. And they're out there freezing their little fingers off. Why? Because they want to not make it hard for people who are turning to Christ. And they want to have a friendly smile on for someone who's coming up and just, you know, and just encourage them. Yeah, that's where I want to go. I want to go to a porch church, not a treehouse church. Um, I think this, this is an order of difficulty, okay? Sitting in the front was the easiest, I think. Maybe, maybe parking far away is easiest. Serving is next. Next hardest thing is actually to talk to someone you don't know after the service. Because, again... Every church thinks they're a porch church. And the truth is there may be some people who come here on a Sunday morning and say, man, that is a porch church. And there may be others who come and leave and say, that was a treehouse. Because nobody talked to me, because I felt awkward, because no one went up to me, and and I felt like an outsider, and no one made me feel welcome. And so after the service is over, before the service begins, find someone and talk to them. And I would rather you talk to to one or two new people than 20 new people. Hey, hey, how are you? Hey, hey, how are you? Hey, hey, how are you? Just talk to one person. 
and say, how was your week? And talk to that person next week and, and remember their name. Write it down on your hand if you have to. Like whatever you got to do. Pray for them during, during the week and say, hey, I was praying for you this week. It's so good to see you back again. People are creatures of habit. They'll almost always sit in the same seat so you'll know where to find them, right? And, and, and so just, just to be a welcoming person and so that it's not hard for people who are turning on. Maybe it's an invitation to someone else. Um, to bring them here. Um, I, 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 I'm a coach. I wore my coaching shirt. Actually, I was a junior high Montrose soccer coach for three years. They don't give junior high coaches <laughs> this. I got this from Interfaith from my wife. But I figured I deserved it. So I, I could wear it, even though they never gave the junior high soccer coaches uniforms. But anyway, all that, I'm not bitter. <laughs> anyway, it's interesting with, with kids, um, typically on a varsity program, who are the ones that got to pick up the bats or take the starting blocks or carry the water out or do all the cleanup? Who, who does that on a varsity team? Freshmen, right? You're, you're the new kids on the block. You do the grunt work. I tell you what, if we got Christian athletes here, juniors and seniors, you need to do that. And that's the way Jesus was. He, he said, you know, I am the king. And in the economy of the world, the king gets served. The king has everyone do errands for him. I'm the important person. You serve me. But he said, I'm, I want to flip it upside down. And I want the seniors and the all-stars picking up the bats and, and carrying out the water and, and, and serving and, and you, you'll know they're Christians by their love. What does love look like? Love looks like sacrifice and serving. In fact, this morning, I'm not going to say the name because she doesn't want to be known, but there's a woman who's giving away her car to someone she never met. Why? Because she doesn't want to make it hard for someone to follow Jesus. And, and this is an individual, I don't even know if she's here this morning, the one who's going to get the car. I, I don't think she's been to church in a long, long time, maybe never. And, and you know what? That's, that's the mentality that we need to have. What can I do? And honestly, this woman, she's a single mom. I never would have asked her. I never would have thought she would, you know, but it's, you know, Jesus, when he saw the widow giving his, the two small coins, he didn't go up to the widow and say, oh, wait, wait a minute. You need to save that. There's, there's other people who can give 50 cents. You say that. No. He said, guys, look. She gets it. She's mature. She's the strong one. How's she the strong one? She's an old widow with no money. It's upside down. And, and that's the kind of community we want to be. An upside down community where the, the strong serve the weak. The rich serve the poor. The, 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 the smart serve those who are not. Because that's the way we follow Jesus. That's what being a better disciple of Jesus, and that's how you make more disciples. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that uh, you have brought this team together this morning. Um, God, I, 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 this church family is so encouraging to me. God, there's times where I, I just get discouraged, and then, and then I see someone following you and obeying you, 
and it is just, it is just brings tears to my eyes and a joy in my heart. And I just ask that you would help us to just keep going, that we would not make it hard for those who are turning to God, that we would do the hard things, that we would plow up the hard soil, that we would do the planting and the watering and, and the weeding and all the hard stuff so that, God, your Holy Spirit would, would then do what we can't and, and that there would be a harvest and that there would be fruit. God, this community needs you so much. God, there's people that are so lost and without hope, and I just pray that you would, you would just use us to bring that light and that hope and that we would walk across the street and invite our friends at work and that we would be a church that's different, not with a drawbridge, but with an open door. In Jesus' name, amen.